0: Welcome to Some Assembly Required, a bi-weekly design podcast where we discuss a range of topics from tech, industrial and product design, and sustainability. I'm George Wyeth.
1: And I'm Pablo Samoilis. We're both product designers from the University of Sussex.
0: This is episode six, Monopoly. Last episode we discussed randomness and probability, from the music shuffle feature to the odds of sharing birthdays, but be sure to check out that episode and any others that take your fancy after this. That's a bit different i did the intro there
1: yeah very That's... fun it felt yeah. odd to suddenly realize that you know because we, we don't actually um on our document we don't actually split it like pablo say this george say this so yeah. i suddenly remembered that i had to say we're both product designers from the university of sussex <laughs> ah yeah.
0: it was a bit different we managed it we got that first try mm, um very cool not too bad actually so this episode is it's, it, we're doing it a little bit differently cause Pablo's been very busy with um, uni work, so he hasn't had as much time to do some planning and research. So I've basically just gone and found a little fun story that I will be sharing with the class. Yeah, um, and
1: I know basically nothing about this. I've been in a intensive two-week educational experience. Um, mm, it's been I, nine to five every day. Very, very fun, entertaining, and at some is, point we'll probably talk about it a bit. It is an
0: yeah, experience. I did it is. That. Did that back just before COVID hit us all. Yay. So my story I found for this little episode is about the history of the, the board game Monopoly. I nearly said video game there. That's um, a sign I mean, of the time. it there. is a video game too. I, yeah, that's true. It, it's been turned into a video game. That's very much the uh, the it modern is. takes on the board game. I nearly did it again. Do you think
1: there'll ever be people who, um, who just think of Monopoly as the video game and not the board game?
0: Um, I'm sure there'll be people. I don't think it'll be like mm. a a common sort of thought. Post. What's that? Oh, Man- the Mandela effect. Like I don't think it's going to be like to that sort of level where people just assume it is. But there's okay. always. I reckon there'll be people. Yeah, there probably already are people. Let's be honest. Um. Yeah, probably. So, yeah, Monopoly. It's it's pretty um infamous. Did do you remember Monopoly causing any arguments? It they they say it does. I don't particularly have many memories of arguing with family over games of monopoly but well I'll, I'll
1: i'll spice it up immediately by saying that i didn't play monopoly as a kid oh um we had a kenyan off-brand monopoly now oh, that counts the same yeah game. the same game literally the same game it was called kumiliki and all of the like you know places in the different you know parts of the town was all areas of nairobi Mm. and the money was kenyan currency and the chance cards were often kind of like little off jokes about corruption and stuff it's a fun game
0: that's cool I i feel like i need to look this up
1: yeah um it's good so i the first time i ever played monopoly was real monopoly but then when we actually got a monopoly like set it wasn't it was kumiliki so I've never understood the jokes when people kind of name the place because I don't know at all where it sits um, on the board. And then I was with Americans who have, of course, their version of it. Similarly, yeah. I don't know at all what it means. So
0: Yeah, I was trying to find I, I was trying to find pictures of the like the US Monopoly board because I, I thought that might be the one that you would have had, maybe. Hmm. Um I didn't I I was gonna ask you, but I just didn't. Um But yeah, I couldn't I generally couldn't find one. I think the original one was based around Atlantic City, which I, I, I don't know where that is. Is that still a place or is that what is now Atlanta? <laughs>
1: <laughs> this, okay, is, this is a, a
0: British person speaking.
1: Those are not the same place.
0: Okay, I uh, just googled it. Atlantic City, New Jersey. All right.
1: Atlantic City is... I, I can call it a shithole. <laughs> it's a
0: shithole. Um, yeah, Atlanta's that's, very that's far funny. away from it. <laughs> They're really far away from each other. <laughs> Okay. Well, uh, yeah. There you go. That's me showing my Britishness. I've I have been to America. I've been to New York and I've been to Florida.
1: Ah. Well, I mean, you've you've been pretty close to Atlantic City in one of those places. Yeah. 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 Uh, not um. But I think the I don't know where it's based off
0: of. I've actually got an no idea. I think probably there's so many different types because as the UK one, and I feel like this is the most famous one. But maybe that's just because I'm British. It probably is just because mm. I'm British. Is is the London one. But there are ones for other streets. What well, isn't it? The original? Well, the original, it would well, we'll get to where the original is, but um the sort of original um in that sort of sense would have been Atlantic City, I believe. Oh interesting, okay. Um yeah, I I I actually thought the game originated from the UK, but as we'll find out. It's I'm not. I'm surprised it
1: didn't, actually.
0: Wow. Yeah, I so I just I feel like the UK's sort of London board is the more recognisable in place names, but I, that's, yeah. again, it's probably because you know, I'm British.
1: I'm looking at an American um, one real quick, and I genuinely can't tell if any of these are real places, or just names.
0: Yeah. But there's, a lot
1: of them are named after states and famous people, and I'm like, yeah, that makes sense.
0: Yeah, they had, there's probably a like a Hollywood version, there's so many different versions now. Yeah. So they're definitely well, like Hollywood versions. I mean, I... I had a version that I, it was like this customizable one. So you got the board um, and it had all these like little spaces and like this, these stickers that you you could print onto with all the right like fonts and all that sort of stuff in it. So you could make your own set. Um, I think I'd got it for like Christmas at one point. And so I made it and I called it Wyethopoly. Um, Of course. I can't remember how old I was. That's probably like, eight I guess, eight or nine um, and so I'd made all the different places, the different like rooms in our house, but there wasn't enough rooms in our house so it was like the rooms in our house and then it was like the woods out the back like the garden the um, the street we were on I don't know if maybe I had like my school and stuff, I don't know, I can't remember I probably still have it in like the loft somewhere But That's really cool actually I should have got it down before That's we so cool this. Yeah, yeah I, it's I... a bit of
1: fun that's really interesting. That's fun. No, we 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 didn't. We never did that. I, we just had our like Kenyan one. I can't remember. I know the figures were different. Because mm. it was there was a lion, a flip flop, a. Uh, rhino. Can't remember what the other ones were.
0: Okay, well, what 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 piece would you use? What was your your go to? I I liked the rhino or the flip flop. Uh, they sound fun. I mean, all of those pieces yeah. sound quite fun. I. In our one I think I, I, tend, I quite like the top hat, but I also like yeah. the... Because my, my sister would always have the Westie, so I wouldn't have the dog. Um, the dog, yeah. I, th- I feel like when I played British
1: Monopoly, I was the dog.
0: There was a... I think there was, a, like, a, there was like a racing car as well. I think I had that. Yeah. Amount, but the top hat. I'm a keen, keen, keen bean
1: for the top hat. I mean, hey, it's Mr. Monopoly right there holding it. So obviously it yeah. gives you the best Pretty luck, surely, I want right?
0: wanted to be the top dog, clearly.
1: You wanted to well, be I the top so. dog, but you weren't allowed to be the dog.
0: Yeah. <laughs> no. <laughs> no, that's true. Um, but yeah, fine. I also remember, I, don't, I didn't have it. I think my cousin had it. There was, a, there was a weird new version where you actually had like a credit card mach- machine thing, and it was like almost digitized. Oh, yeah. So I've heard of this. I've seen people talk about it. I don't really understand
1: it. Yeah, never never played it. I feel like it had some kind of debt element.
0: Yeah, there was, like, um, complex, yeah. more, like, banking rules, I think.
1: You know what I should buy? And, I, I in fact, I might just buy this. I, I've been kind of wanting to for a while. Is Uno Attack. Did you ever play Uno Attack?
0: I don't think so. I don't even know that I... Wait, is that the one that had the machine that just threw cards at you? Yes. Oh, yeah, I think I did play that once. It was Yeah, so I played chaos. it
1: once, and I absolutely loved it. But basically, instead of, you know, plus two or plus three cards... You press the button that many of times, and it gives you a random number of cards from, like, 1 to 30.
0: Yeah, and it just flings them at you, so you just sort of, like, just get sprayed with cards, and then you have to gather them all up. So I think I might buy that.
1: Um, But no, I never had the weird credit card Monopoly.
0: I think I found it. It's Monopoly with electric banking. The electric banking edition. Why? And you have, like, one of those little card machine things. You know, like, oh, they're like the security machines that you have to put, like, your pins into. Yeah. When you're doing, like, online banking sometimes. Like
1: the, a there's like, there's like a that.
0: monopoly for millennials, isn't there? Oh, Honestly, there's a monopoly for everything. Like, if it exists, there's a monopoly of it.
1: Yeah. Monopoly for millennials. Yeah. Because that, that was their kind of cash grab at. You don't get money, you get like experience points. Oh, yes, I do remember
0: this. I do remember this.
1: Yeah. And it's, and it's the tagline's like, forget real estate, you can't afford it anyway.
0: Yes. Yeah. Yeah. And you just gather experiences instead. And it's things like sleeping on your mate's sofa because you can't afford rent or something. Yeah, exactly.
1: (laughs) Which is just kind of ridiculous. I like it. It's funny. It's funny, but it's also like, at the end of the day, it's Hasbro making lots and lots of money off of it, isn't it?
0: Oh, yeah, that is true.
1: It's yeah, it's
0: ironic, I suppose, in that sense. Yes, definitely. Well, on, on from that, should we, uh, we get into the actual story of it? Because there's a, we a lot more to it than I thought there'd be. Was, yeah, um... I'm,
1: I'm kind of impressed that we've already had such a kind of interesting conversation about Monopoly without even starting the conversation.
0: Yeah, and you've barely even played the game. <laughs> I have barely played
1: the game. <laughs> I've only played my funny off-brand one.
0: Mm. Yeah. So yeah, we you mentioned Hasbro. Um they are the sort of owners of the Monopoly brand nowadays. Um but they are not the start of the story, oh no. Mm. So um it's it's a sad it's a sad story unfortunately. Um uh. we're starting off with a bit of well, I suppose it's ironic in the way it's 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 a game that was created um, by a woman from Illinois called Elizabeth Maggie. And she kind of came up with the game in like in the ni- early 1900s. Um, and it was based around, basically in a way for her to try and push ideas of more left-wing politics. Oh, interesting. Um, and so it's actually more against a monopoly idea, really. So it was almost anti-capitalist. Yeah, it was a sort of anti-capitalist game, basically, and unfortunately, it went in the other direction. Um, so yeah, so Elizabeth Maggie, or Liz- Lizzie, as I'll probably call cool, that's what she was generally known as, Lizzie Maggie. Uh, she was born in eighteen sixty-six in Illinois to um, forward-thinking parents. Uh, her, her father was James Maggie, uh, who was a newspaper publisher, and he apparently he accompanied Abraham Lincoln around the. Uh, the state in the 1850s during like public debates. I'm presuming that was must've been sort of around election period for him. That's Mm. as much information as I could find though. Um, but yeah, he was an anti monopolist, (laughs) Okay. which is funny in a, in, in an ironic sense. Um, and it was him that introduced Maggie to a guy called Henry George's book. It was called progress and poverty, which basically like formed all her political beliefs. So, I did a bit of Googling into this Henry George guy. He was an American political economist and journalist. And yeah, this book outlined the theory that individuals should own what they have made or created, but that the land should belong to the collective. Um, apparently in the 1890s in America, the book outsold all other books except for the Bible. Wow.
1: I mean, that's a pretty big, you know, 1890s America. Wow.
0: Yeah. Um, and he also apparently inspired a philosophy called Georgism, which I like the sound of myself. Um <laughs> But yeah, so he was basically Yeah, he wanted to make the world more fair and more equitable and didn't like the ideas of, you know, wealthy white men getting their their hands on large swathes of land and making all the money off of it. They, you know, he he thought that land should be shared equally but amongst people. All, all the the um the the goods of it, I suppose, should what what's come with. Which is worth
1: worth saying that in america that is that is a crazy opinion to have yeah you know like other other countries many other countries have had some kind of socialist kind of movement or inspiration at some point but america really never has and, and hopefully might mm-hmm. maybe maybe um but you know like they so for that to be a, an opinion that was that popular to the point where it was second to the bible is actually kind of incredible
0: mm yeah, it is insane. I mean, obviously, looks like, uh, I don't know, Harry Potter went out in the 1890s but um, as a sort of competition. But yeah, it's pretty impressive. Um, but yeah, this Lizzie Maggie, so she was kind of an incredible woman, to be honest. She had an insane work ethic. And actually, in the early 1900s, when she was first coming up with her idea for the Landlord's Game, as she called it, um, she was unmarried, and yet she still owned the, her own home. Uh, and that was off her own back as well. So she was, I don't know, she was hustling in, in the day. And yeah, for mm. a woman, that was in- incredibly, incredibly unusual, I suppose. Yeah. Um, but yeah, so basically she wanted a way to to share her be- her political beliefs and those of her idol, Henry George's, um, beliefs around the, sort of, the people, especially as the sort of middle class homes of America. And at that same time board games were becoming increasingly commonplace in those sort of homes. People would play them, they'd have friends around for dinner and they'd sit and play board games. Ah. Um over oh, the days. <laughs> the simpler times. Yes. Um and so people were starting to think, well, we could use these as a way for communication as well, because it's you know, people are sitting around playing these talkings. If the board game itself can start to have some to, you know raise some questions have some you know it's, it's an interesting way of of selling an idea rather than just sort of putting leaflets around on posters up and yeah, selling a book
1: it's almost the start of the kind of like covert marketing that we see a lot of today
0: yeah i suppose it probably probably kind of was um i don't think about that but yeah um so yeah so in, in the evening she spent working on her landlord's game uh and she said it it is a practical demonstration of the present system of land grabbing with all its usual outcomes and consequences. Um, It might as well have been called the game of life as it contains all the elements of success and failure in the real world. And the object is the same as the human race in general seems to have, i.e. the accumulation of wealth. Um, so her landlord's game, it featured the mock deeds, the fake money, the properties, um, to be bought and sold, we all still know. And in one corner was the tile and the famous words go to jail. (laughs) (laughs) so yeah she had all the uh it it was monopoly in a sense is slightly different and of the time a bit more Uh, and she actually had a quote from henry george written on where it would now say like pass go she had a quote written um, from him there and that so that was like was the idea of
1: collecting you know 200 or 100 or whatever it is as you crossed the thing there or was that added later was the quote kind of just like a way of designating that you've made a full circle.
0: I think, yeah, I think it would just make a way of designating the sort of the full circle. Um, Mm. So the, because the interesting thing about this is that it didn't just have the standard set of rules that we remember now. There was actually two versions that she wrote. Um, So they had the monopolist set, which is the one we know now where players go around and they aim to bankrupt each other, basically to win. Um, And the second Set of rules that sort of have faded to history was the anti-monopolist set, where basically all players are rewarded when wealth was created. So it was, I think the way the way that you won was when the person that had the least amount of wealth to start with had doubled it or something. It was something mm. along the lines of that. Yeah. So it was like the monopoly, <laughs> common monopoly. Yeah. Basically, um, and so yeah, in. On the 23rd of March in 1903, she headed to the US patent office and put in for her patent for the landlord's game. Uh, At the the time, she was only 1% of patent holders to be female as well. So another impressive, impressive stat for her. Um, And yeah, and two years later, she had a version published by a, a New York firm called the Economic Game Company. Um, and it became really popular around sort of left wing intellectuals, especially like across college campuses in America. But I guess, you know, they didn't have as much communications and stuff in that time. So it just sort of spread from person to person. And rather than necessarily people going out and having the board the board bought because, you know, it wasn't being produced, mass produced like we do have now. Um, it was just sort of passed on from people to people. They'd make their own boards. They'd draw their own version of the game. Mm. Um, and so it just sort of generally spread across America over the next three decades, um, with their people creating their own spin on the game and changing the names of the locations to fit their states and cities, which obviously we do still sort of have now, that idea. Yeah. Um, and most notably, however, was there was an adaption made by the Quakers community in Atlantic City. And this is where our villain figure steps into the uh, into the story. Um bum, bum. Bah, it's bum, Hasbro bah, bah, no, it's not Hasbro. Oh, not yet. Hasbro okay. don't come until <laughs> la- a lot later, actually. But they are villains. Um uh, <laughs> So yeah, basically, the in the recognized inventor of Monopoly, Charles Darrow, um, was a businessman from Philadelphia. And yeah, one time, one night in 1932, he was visiting his friend Charles Todd uh, and his wife's home for dinner with another friend. And as they do in the in the day, Todd introduced them all to this real estate board game that he'd recently learned. It mm. wasn't in a box, you know. He hadn't bought it in a box. It was purely this, known as this Monopoly game, uh, that was being passed around friend to friend. And Charles Darrow, when they played it, he liked it so much that he asked Todd to make him his own board and teach him the rules. Aha! So he, you know, he he sort of got his 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 mitts on the game at this point. He'd had a look. He he'd enjoyed it and. Honestly, you know, at this point, it's not really he's not really doing anything bad. He doesn't know about the fact that it was Elizabeth Maggie's game originally here. Um, It's only later that that starts to become clear. Um, So roughly kind of a year after he'd been playing it around his friend's house, he was unemployed and running out of money. Um, So he asked his friend Charles Todd if he would be able to write up like the full set of rules for him. Um, Hmm. Todd didn't really know why, apparently. Um, but he, he wrote up the rules and he didn't really think that there was anything that existed. Like he just thought, well, this is just a game that we've sort of adapted ourselves. So he wrote up his, his kind of idea of the rules. Um, and Charles Darrow basically took that game to Parker Brothers, who were the sort of original people of um, publishers of Monopoly. Initially, they actually rejected his game though, because they thought it was too complex and didn't really like the theme of it. Um, but he managed, Charles Darrow managed to successfully sell it around in sort of stores in Philadelphia. And after that, they sort of went, OK, maybe you're onto something. Um, so was this based on the Quaker version? Yeah. So it was, that's, that's why the I said earlier, like the original Monopoly was based around Atlantic City, because that's where that adaption of the game, it, it was that adaption of the game that ended up in Charles Darrow's hands, basically. I think interesting and he didn't get
1: got by the fact that uh, Lizzie Maggie had a patent in the name.
0: Well, no, because it was a sort of it was it it was a slightly different game. It wasn't the same game, but it was it was very much clearly like a copy that she'd or, or like of her idea um, mm. with its own workings. So her like landlord's game originally didn't have all the same places trying to find a i see so it had been at that point quite derived and adjusted yeah it would yeah. um it changed so yeah they had what was the original places they had uh wall street i must have been based around sort of new york her, yeah because mm. it was the new york economic games company that originally sold the landlord's game lizzie maggie's sort of original so it was based around new york in in the original one that makes sense. version of her game <clears throat> And you can find some pictures, maybe we'll share some links. There's a, there's a website called landlordsgame.info and it has basically pictures of like all the different iterations of the board game as it progressed up to oh, that's quite fun. The Parker Brothers' version. Um, but yeah, so at this point, it wasn't really that malicious what Charles Darrow was doing. I mean, sure, he was kind of stealing it from his friend and the Quaker community in general, but he wasn't aware of Lizzie Maggie's creation of the landlord's game like it wasn't something that he knew about at this time okay. really it was he was just trying to sort of make make some money wasn't he um but basically as that as his monopoly as he'd called it was sort of growing in popularity in the sort of mid 1930s parker brothers then at that point they went and bought up all the patents to anything that was close to their new sort of territory um So in a way, you could say they monopolized. Um, Yeah. (laughs) That's basically what they did. And so, yeah, for Lizzie's patent and two others of hers that were sort of similar in theme, I guess, um, she was paid $500 with no royalties. Oh. (laughs) Um, And I did a bit of messing around with a sort of inflation-y sort of thing to work out. So that's that's about $10,000 in today's money. Okay, so not um, nothing, but it's not... not, not so, nothing, but it's...
1: Monopoly's and, made a lot more than that.
0: Oh, yeah, Monopoly has made millions, maybe billions, I don't know. Um, And, yeah, that was made with no royalties, of course, as well. So that was just in a, a, a sort of buyout. It wasn't a... Flat sum, yeah. Yeah. And initially, Lizzie was delighted when she found out about this, because she, you know, thought, oh, my game's actually been picked up, and it's going to be turned into something real. Um... And so she, she received a prototype of Parker Brothers' The Landlords game. So they basically, what they did is they had the Monopoly game and they went and bought up anything that was similar and then sort of just produced them as well. So they were like, ah, it's, it's kind of our thing as well. But the Monopoly was the main one that they were focusing on. So um, it was just
1: trying to have a control over the entire
0: kind of genre, essentially. Yeah, it's, it's not exactly something that's unheard of. It's, it's, it's what companies do, unfortunately. It's just ironic that it was around the game Monopoly. <laughs> yeah, it is just sad and ironic. Um, but yeah, so when when Lizzie got this, she actually wrote a letter to Foster Park that there had been a song in my heart ever since the game had arrived. Someday I hope uh, you will publish other games of mine, but I don't think any of them will be as much trouble to you or as important to me as this one, and I'm sure I wouldn't make so much fuss over them. So yeah, she was hmm. initially she was really excited because she thought, oh, yeah. my game's actually been picked up. Um, However, it became clear to her in January 1936, um, when she became publicly angry in the Washington Post with an image of her holding up the Landlord's Game Board. Uh, So that's the sort of the original one that she'd had published with the New York Economic Game Company back in 1903. No, 1905 it would have been. Um, And a picture of what we now recognize as the Darrow Board emblazoned with Monopoly across the middle because they're basically identical. Um, And she wasn't happy about it. But unfortunately, at the time, the story didn't really make much of a headline, to be honest. Um, The Evening Star even wrote that Lizzie's game did not get the popular hold it has today. It took Charles B. Darrow, a Philadelphia engineer, who retrieved the game from the oblivion of the patent office and dressed it up a bit to get it going. Uh So it was basically most people just going... Yeah, but this woman's game was—it wasn't really good enough. It needed a uh, a white businessman to step in and save the day.
1: <sighs> so essentially, because his rendition or development was considered better by the public, uh, no one cared. No one cared.
0: Yeah, his one was the sort of the famous, popular one, so people didn't really care, I guess. Yeah, I mean, I'm not
1: shocked sure that happens today. Uh, like, you know, obviously, I don't want to. There aren't any specific things, but like, there are always cases of large groups such as Disney essentially using work from independent uh either artists or like even like fan fiction writers Mm. and essentially obviously they have all the power they own the ip so it just never matters right yeah so i'm not i'm not shocked that
0: about that at all and the problem is once it's a big popular thing it's it's gonna take a lot to overthrow it because it's already popular Oh yeah. Um, so yeah, it was quite sad. She she died in 1948, a widow. So she did marry uh, eventually. Uh, her husband Albert Phillips, and she was married, uh, buried beside him. Um, mm-hmm. But her obituary never mentioned anything in creating Monopoly, and nor did her gravestone. It was just pretty, kind of. Yeah, she died without much recognition for it, to be honest, which was very sad. And it it basically was buried in history. Um, and it wasn't until in 1973 that her story was uncovered by another left-wing economics professor uh, a guy called ralph Anspach, who basically he was facing a legal cease and desist case from parker <laughs> brothers uh, for his creation of an anti-monopolist game so it's full circle at this point <laughs> it really has gone it's really gone while. full circle i couldn't find the the rule sets of what Hayes game actually was but it Presumably, it must be sort of something riffing off of the Monopoly idea and taking it another route. Um, and it was in his research for that case that he came upon Lizzie's original patents and began to sort of unravel the story. Um, oh, that's,
1: that's hilarious.
0: Yeah, the case it took a decade, um, but eventually it did end in the Supreme Court where he won his case. Uh, and in doing so, he shone a light on Lizzie Maggie's story, basically. Wow. Yeah, uh, the the main most of this info sort of came from his research, uh, I think, uh, and that's all been sort of compiled by a an author called Mary Pillon, who released a mm-hmm. book about this whole story in twenty fifteen. Um, I've not read the book because I need to buy it, and I'm very slow at reading. Um, but it she's re, she wrote a lot of articles and stuff like that around the release of her book as well, with, with this sort of information. And in. so, so yeah, shout out to Mary Pillon for finding shout the to stuff. Shout out that yeah. Um, but yeah, basically, I've, so yeah, it was a Parker Brothers game after multiple acquisitions over many years. Monopoly ends up as a brand under mm. the uh, under the Hasbro name in 1991, which is where it is today. Um, but it, to be honest, this is where I, I am happy to say that Hasbro is still a bit of a villain. Even in the last decade, with all this news and story out, Hasbro still kind of downplay Maggie's um, inclusion in the story uh, and credit Darrow as the official Monopoly inventor. They even mm. sort of had a timeline on online of Monopoly. I think around its sort of 80th anniversary. Um, well, I put that in air quotes, 80th, um, and that only began in 1935 with Charles Darrow's sort of eureka moment of uh, coming up with this idea. Ah, well. So yeah, it's a uh, it's a slightly sad sad story, and that's it that's is. And I'm, I'm not really I'm not shocked, but that's very cool
1: that it has that history, and it's kind of cool that it's now been uncovered, and you can go and see the original landlord's game. And I- assume buy it somewhere.
0: I think they're yeah, they do make it and they do sell it. It's it's probably more expensive and limited runs, but you can, I think on this website it looks like you can buy it. Um cool. so yeah, landlordsgame.info we've put a link in the in the description. In the show notes. And yeah you can have a look through the because there's few quite a few different iterations, as I said, of different sort of colleges and uni- universities um yeah. making their own adaptions of them. There is one even from nineteen thirteen in in London. Uh it's not the sort of one that became our popular our popular one um but yeah it does actually it did make it across the pond a bit earlier than that um interesting yeah but basically so... the the one we have was then sort of the the rights to it in the UK were bought out by um Warringtons in like the 19 or 1935 so it was pretty soon mm. after
1: and they were if, if I may take the stage for a minute to share a quick addendum. You may. Uh, Waddingtons, they were the group that actually started producing a wartime version of Monopoly during World War II. Um, so this was in the 40s at this point, and And um, a lot of companies and well, every, basically everyone was making sacrifices for the war effort. And Waddingtons started, I guess, helping produce military equipment whatever it was, but they basically couldn't create Monopoly anymore to the same standard as they had prior because they needed to conserve resources. So they had these kind of wartime Monopoly sets and the characters, instead of being uh, aluminium, I guess they are, kind of, you know... Co-
0: I don't know, uh, they're, probably, they're probably just iron or steel or something like that.
1: Iron or steel? Like, I don't know, they're know. metal of some form. Metal. Instead of being cast metal, they were cardboard prints embedded into little kind of wooden stands and the houses were very very roughly cut kind of offcuts of plywood essentially and all of the cardstock was a hell of a lot cheaper and um more simply printed you know all of the logos and fancy stuff was gone it was a very minimal it was a very minimal board and actually came with a um kind of apology for example And the apology is, you know, we regret that it's been necessary to make alterations to the components and parts used in Monopoly. The trinkets have been replaced by wood pieces, a spinner is substitute for the dice, and other alterations have been made. Uh, However, we've turned out the best game we can under restrictive conditions, and we hope you'll obtain from this game the amusement and pleasure pleasure that you did from your peacetime version of Monopoly. And it's very interesting, because it's just a different, you know, it's a different board, but it's otherwise the same game.
0: It's also Uh, quite an interesting sort of look at life during the the war, to be honest. You know, you don't really think about board games so much and those sort of things and the way that they were produced. It's interesting. Yeah,
1: you really don't. Uh, And this this actually was the version of Monopoly where the kind of short game rule um, came in, which is the, I mean, I I don't know Monopoly that well, but it was the idea that you could um, bargain for houses and stuff so that you weren't always wasting time. Um, so all those rules came in to kind of speed up the game, and this was the edition that did that. But also, most interestingly, was they were asked by the British Secret Service to create specific versions of Wartime Monopoly that within the board itself had embedded a map, and then within the box there might be uh, money and possibly even a compass if they could sneak it in, and these were then sent under the name of a false charity to Prisoner of War Camps, where the prisoners of war could tear open the boards to get given, essentially, an escape map, a compass, and some cash to be able to escape and pay their way back to wherever they need to go. And that's just kind of incredible.
0: It is incredible, the, the ingenuity of what happened during the war. Those yeah, sort of things. it's
1: just another one of those neat little spy things, isn't it?
0: Yeah, it does feel quite James Bond-like. Yeah, absolutely. You know, Q sits down... Cute, what is this? This is just a Monopoly board. Uh, no, Bond, I think you'll find, actually. If you just click, you click the house on that corner by that small red dot, it's actually a penknife.
1: <laughs> exactly. <laughs> <laughs> I, I, I don't understand. Like, I can understand how they get a map into the board, right? The boards are usually quite thick. You can just easily have a thing in there. Mm. And some cash in the box. I get that, too. Where the
0: hell did they hide a compass? Yeah, I don't know. I mean, how thin can you make a compass? I don't really... I don't, like, I don't think they can be all that thin, can they? No. Well, maybe, actually, i tell you what, there was it, another thing that they had to reduce in the wartime was the dice. So they had to yeah. get rid of the dice. So they had, instead they had a little spinner. Hmm. So maybe the spinner was actually like a campus or something. Oh, interesting. Maybe it was something like that. I don't know. It's cool. That's
1: quite cool. That's quite cool. And obviously, you know, there's, there's very little evidence around this because it's not like there was a big publication at the time that it happened. And actually finding the wartime sets, let alone the ones that have spy stuff inside of them, Mm. is almost impossible. But it's just very cool. Yeah, well, I imagine also the
0: spy set ones, if you have to rip open the board to be able to get the map out, the ones that would have succeeded have probably been destroyed in the process. Exactly,
1: yeah. And now it's just a map. Yeah. But that is, very cool, and it's interesting that Waddingtons, who were the people who first got the license, were almost immediately doing that. You know, they bought the license and probably six years later started making the wartime sets.
0: Yeah. People just had to adapt, didn't they? Yeah. Crazy. Crazy. But yeah, so that is that's the story of Monopoly, basically. It's, there's a lot more to it than I thought of, and yep. Lizzie Maggie is kind of the original inventor, and it was basically invented as a Argument against monopolizing things.
1: Which is so ironic and it makes the story all that more sad.
0: Yeah, it does. So rest in peace, Lizzie Maggie. Your story is being remembered now, just about.
1: (laughs) I don't don't think we are the turning point in her story by any means. No. Our
0: our small corner of the internet is, you know. Exactly. But regardless,
1: uh, you should go check out landlordsgame.info and there's some interesting history there. I was just taking a look at it as George was talking.
0: Pretty cool, really. Very. Yeah, cool. yeah no, there's loads of different versions. And it's interesting the way people just took it and changed the name and changed the places. And in a way, I suppose that customizable set that I had when I was younger was quite faithful to the original premise, mm-hmm. I suppose.
1: <laughs> You're right. Perhaps Wyethopoli was the true one.
0: <laughs> Wyethopoli, the true I, It
1: makes me also think what other games that we kind of play and take for granted may have quite kind of either tenuous or very much, like, passed between families and rules changed things until someone picked it up
0: and went, I'm going to make money with this. I'm sure loads, there must be loads, because that's the sort of thing that would have happened back then. Oh, yeah, you know, absolutely. They didn't have the internet and mass production to be selling these things around. So the sort of early 1900s, just, yeah, people... Found found a fun game. They've probably had at that round at that time. They probably had more in the way of access to leisure time like that. Yeah. So yeah, it probably there's probably loads of them popular games. That's
1: very interesting and cool to think about. Well, never thought we'd do a you know forty-ish minute recording on Monopoly.
0: No, that's uh, a lot. There's a lot, to, a lot to unpack there. Yeah, incredible. Let us you know what so your favorite pieces, researching and sharing. pieces are as well. Yeah, absolutely.
1: Well, I guess I'll close it
0: out. Yeah, you can close it out if you want. get back to know. All it. right.
1: <laughs> oh, yes, thank you. Make sure to subscribe to the podcast on Apple Podcasts or Spotify and rate it. I think those platforms both have rating options now. So give it five stars so that you never miss an episode. And if you've enjoyed this episode, please share it with your friends, family, co workers, and. What's the dog called again? The the Yorkie? And the Yorkie. The Yorkie dog. And the Yorkie dog in Monopoly. Unlike videos and blogs, podcasts have no algorithm for recommendations and we rely entirely on the word of mouth of you as our listeners.
0: We do indeed. Pass it around like all those people passed around the Monopoly board game. Or the Landlords Game board game as it was. (laughs) Exactly. But remember who made it first. Yes, of course. Don't ever plagiarise. Um, follow us on Instagram as well at assemble.it for a deeper look into the show and our own work, including behind the scenes, outtakes, projects, and updates. And yeah, we'll share some pictures of some of the old boards maybe on there as well.
1: Oh, yeah, absolutely. And once more, remember to subscribe to the podcast and share it among your friends, family, co workers, and your Yorkie. We'll see you in a couple of weeks with our next episode. Thank
0: you very much for listening. Thanks for listening. Some Assembly Required is co hosted and produced by Pablo samoyles and George Wyeth, and edited by George Wyeth. Music is by Mikey Bertwistle. This is a 7-6 podcasting production.